WBZ Original. We're talking with Mark Abrams of Improbable Research and the Ig Nobel Awards on Studio BZ. And I have to admit, um, I thought of the Ig Nobel Awards as sort of a scientific version of the Museum of Bad Art. Are you familiar with that? Oh, we collaborate with them, yes. Do the, you really? Difference. Yes. And because they, are, they are part of the ceremony every year, yeah. Okay, well... I've been to the Museum of Bad Art, and it's great. For those of you who haven't been, is it still in... In fact, in fact I am officially a director of the Museum of Bad is Art. Is it still in the basement of the Somerville Theater? It is. In Davis Square? Okay. It's, it's, it's a gas. It's well worth seeing. But it's, it's for laughs. I mean, you don't come out of there saying... Upon reflection, some of this is really powerful oh, folk no. art. No, you don't. But there's something about the... the paintings they pick that's not just bad there's something that makes it, you look it, and the next if you ever do go to a, a, a nice art museum after that it makes you really look in a different way at everything you're looking at well i've got to say you know i went i laughed i thought this is clever uh but then maybe partly as a result of that I, I went to an exhibit of folk art. There's a Museum of American Folk Art in New York City, and uh, or, or so-called outsider art, which is art by untrained artists. Yeah. And I've become fascinated by outsider art. I went to a fantastic museum of it in Spain recently. And some of it, Oh, quite a bit of it is fantastic and very moving and comparable to any experience I've had in the Museum of Fine Arts. It's a big world. There's a lot of stuff that we look at but don't really see until somebody yanks you and says, hey, look at that. I mean, that's, that, is that what you're after? That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And if you come to the Ig Nobel ceremony, which happens in the middle of September, you can talk to these people, and they're thrilled to talk to you. We've also been webcasting it every year. We, we kind of invented webcasting back in 1995 for the ceremony, and now it's a common thing. Now, this is distinct. I, I just want to reiterate from what are those awards they give out every year for the worst movies? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Razzies. It, Razzies, yeah. The Razzies, yeah. yeah. Now, that's... Yeah, mocking. That, that's right. That's for the bad things. And with us, really, we we do not like to say, and we often cannot say, which of the 10 new things every year that wins an Ig Nobel Prize, which of them is good and which is bad. And really, most of them, like a lot of things in life, it's probably a mixture. But there's something about them that's so gripping that it's funny, <laughs> and it gets in your head, and it makes you think, no matter who you are. Do professional scientists, researchers uh, ever feel like you're, you know, you're undermining them, you know, you're making light of the general field and that this reflects badly on their oh-so-important research? Once in a while, that's, that's become kind of rare, and it's reached the point now, and, and this, this happened even in some of the early years, but especially now, we get lots of nominations every year. We get 9,000 nominations, new nominations in a typical new year. Um, 10 to 20% of those are people who nominate themselves, although the self-nominees almost never win. And the part that I never expected is a lot of institutions nominate their people, a lot of universities, a lot of companies, a lot of governments even, because 
around the world, not so much around here, oddly, but around the world, these prizes every year get a tremendous amount of attention in the press. All the wire services cover them. If you come to the Ig Nobel ceremony here at Harvard, you'll see every year a lot of TV crews from networks in Japan, uh, Russia, other other countries every year are piled up. We, we have a tough time managing all these camera crews in addition to the audience fit in, in this one theater. What does that tell you about culture about what what are people responding to that i think a lot of people like things that really will grab their imagination in a way that's pleasing and these things certainly are one I'll give me another example uh one year 15 or so years ago we gave one of the ig nobel prizes to the man who invented karaoke there is an inventor. He is Japanese. He wasn't well-known even in Japan at that point. He came over here. Um, I think all the big Japanese networks came that year, and that hasn't changed. They, they, most of them come every year. Um, it was the big news in Japan and a lot of other places the next day, and he's now very well-known there. And after that happened, thousands of people jumped up to say, no, he didn't invent it, I invented it. <laughs> and uh, he never patented it. He never made any money off it. He was a drummer in a rock band, kind of invented it out of desperation. And there are now thousands of patents, literally thousands of patents in this country and even more in Japan, and billions of dollars being made off of this little invention. So uh, investors, you know, the guys over at Bain Capital, they should be getting their tickets to the Ig Nobel Awards right now, right? That's where the hunting is. Yeah. For the, the next big thing. The hunting is good everywhere, but especially at the Ig Nobel Prizes. And you never know, too, because everybody's done a lot more things than you hear about. One example here, in the year 2000, we gave one of the Ig Nobel Prizes to a couple of scientists from Europe who had done something which sounds pretty strange. They had used magnets to levitate a frog. And this is possible. <laughs> Use magnets to levitate a frog in the air. And we gave them the prize. They were pretty pleased to get it. Ten years later, one of those scientists was awarded a Nobel Prize. Is that the first double Nobel winner? I think that was the first one, yeah. And there have now been a number of them. Really? Yeah. Look, everybody in the world deserves a Nobel in some sense and an Ig Nobel in some sense. But it's uh, anybody who's going to win is up against a lot of competition. And it's got to be something that would strike almost anybody, I mean, what you've done to win. It, it's something that has to strike almost anybody anywhere in the world as funny at first glance, and then stick in their head. So if there's something you can point to that strikes anybody in the world as funny and then makes them think, sure. There have been some national leaders who have won Ig Nobel Prizes. Uh, the head of uh, Belarus uh, a few years ago won the Ig Nobel Peace Prize because he had, um, he had made it um, illegal in his country for anybody to applaud. No clapping of hands. <laughs> and, and he had arranged uh, for the arrest of a one-armed man for applauding in public. We saw weeks afterward in the press interviews that some reporters had tracked down this one-armed man who said that he was quite thrilled and pleased that the president of his country won an Ig Nobel Prize for this. How was the one-armed man applauding? That's why he won the prize, because he was wondering that, too. So the 2018 Ig Nobel Prizes will be awarded 
Thursday, September 13th at Sanders Theater at Harvard. If people want to go or just want to watch it, how do they do it? Yeah, there's still a few tickets left. You can get them um, through the Harvard box office or go to our website, which is improbable.com. And if you can't get a ticket to come to the ceremony, you can watch it live on the webcast. That's free. We've also started doing, uh, just this past week, a, a very different kind of simple event um, just here in the Boston area where I take one of these scientific reports or other reports that are funny. They make people laugh and think. And I go to a coffee shop or an office or a school or wherever somebody wants. If somebody gathers you know, five or ten friends, I'll bring this thing and we'll all sit down over coffee and just talk about the details of this thing. Um, there's, there's a prize. The one we did this, this past week was about a scientific study that won an Ig Nobel Prize last year. And it talks about physics, and it talks about the physics of what happens when you hold a cup of coffee in your hand and walk. You spill it. Yeah. Now, this was the second time we've given a prize for something like that. The first time, a number of years ago, we gave it to some physics professors who looked at that, the physics of what happens when you walk while holding a full cup of coffee extended in your arm. And they, they showed that the physics says you're almost certainly going to spill it. It doesn't mean you're a klutz. It means that you're built like a human being, and it's coffee in a, a, a cup of that shape. We gave a second prize this past year to somebody from Korea, all the way on the other side of the world, who had seen that first scientific report because he got a prize. And he wondered, what happens? Is it the same thing if you hold a cup of coffee, extend it in your arm, and you walk backwards? It turns out the physics is really different. Different how? When you walk forwards with a cup of coffee, which I'm sure you've done, everybody has done it, once you start walking, it becomes really rhythmic, really regular, and the coffee starts to slosh back right. and forth. And that's where the trouble comes. Every time you take another step, because it's regular and because of the shape of that thing, it sloshes a little more and then it spills over the top. When you walk backwards, unless maybe you're a really highly trained dancer, nobody can walk backwards very easily. So you don't get into that kind of rhythm. And you're not, the, the liquid's not going to slosh the same way as much, and you're probably not as likely to spill it. However, if you're walking backwards holding a cup of hot coffee, maybe there are reasons why you are going to spill it that are different, like you crash into something or yeah. you trip. Yeah. So the story always turns out to have a couple of extra little twists. Mark Abrams is the editor and co-founder of Improbable Research and a driving force behind the Ig Nobel Awards. I can't let you go, though, without asking you, what is horse calculus? <laughs> horse calculus is the name of a scientific article that I'm happy to say was written for us by one of the, the great physics professors in England. And it's it explains how he or any other scientist could apply mathematical calculus, which is a whole set of, of how you calculate certain kinds of complicated things, to the surface of a horse, which sounds hard to make any sense of. It came about because a veterinarian was talking to him about um, having to give some kind of new medicine to a horse. And they didn't know the dose. You know, should we give it a whole lot of this medicine, a little, you give it too much, you're going to kill the horse. Too little, it's not going to have any effect. 
but a horse is very different. It's so much bigger than the people that we used to give this stuff. We don't know to give a lot, a little, and how do we calculate that? And it was, they didn't know even where to, how to start thinking about it. And this physics professor started to think about it. He realized, I can use my mathematical techniques to calculate, starting with the surface area of a horse, how the blood flows in the horse. And I can probably give you a very rough guess about how much medicine to give a horse. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not ignoble at all. That's... Why not? Did it make you laugh? <laughs> <laughs> I wondered what it was. And did it make and you I guess think? That's, that's the bottom line. Mean, a lot line. of stuff, you know, if you, once you know the details, it, maybe it's not going to be so funny then. But it, at the first moment it was, that's enough for us. Thanks for joining us at Studio BZ. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it.